And that's been, been the core of it. So a pan-cancer vaccine that is affordable. And what affordable means is very different in the U.S. versus sub-Saharan Africa. And so if we want to prevent cancer worldwide, it has to be very inexpensive. Welcome to Dog Cancer Answers, where we help you help your dog with cancer. Here's your host, James Jacobson. Hello, friend, and welcome to Dog Cancer Answers. We get a lot of questions here about how to prevent my dog from getting cancer. How do I do it? Well, what if I said there is a vaccine that could prevent cancer in both dogs and people? There isn't, just yet. But they're actually doing research on one right now. And that is what today's episode is all about. There is a fascinating study going on right now called the Vaccination Against Cancer Study, VAX, which is looking at a potential vaccine that could prevent cancer in both dogs and later on in people. To talk about that, we are joined by Dr. Jenna Burton. She's at Colorado State University, and she and her colleagues have been involved in this study Dr. Burton, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. A little nervous, but... Well, I am so excited because this is verging on science fiction. I don't know. This is like the concept of a vaccine that could prevent cancer in people, but starting with dogs is pretty cool. And that's what you guys are doing. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of out there. It's a big idea. There are definitely some significant doubters, but you know, these are the kind of projects if if you don't try, you never find out. So we're trying. Is this like, I don't know, a moonshot or a Hail Mary or like, (laughs) how do you describe it to friends and people who are not, you know, scientists like yourself? Yeah. Well, you know, this study is really exciting to be a part of. You know, my career and so many other people's career have been focused on cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's for mainly dogs and cats with cancer. And, you know, to spend so much time with those pets and their families and everything that they go through to think about, you know, could there be a way in the future that we prevent some of this disease? And even if we only prevented a small fraction of that, the burden that these animals and people and the emotion and costs that go along with all this, you know, think about potentially reducing that um, is pretty amazing. And then if we could go outside of veterinary medicine and think about how this could apply potentially to people, to our friends and family, you know, it's pretty, pretty amazing to think about. So, well, it's pretty profound. So when you go to work on this moonshot, do you think I am looking for a vaccine to prevent human cancer? Or are you like thinking, dogs? Like when you go to work, what do you think? You know, as a veterinarian, I'm always a veterinarian. So I tend to think about my patients, but um, so our collaborator investigator that um, is the PI of this project, his name's Stefan Johnson. He's at Arizona State University. Mm -hmm. He's the big brain behind this. And he's definitely one of those amazing big idea guys. And so his goal is to find a way to prevent cancer that is affordable worldwide. So that's a pretty lofty goal. <laughs> it's, it is. It is. I mean, it sounds like this amazing goal. I mean, but Stefan is not a doctor. He's not an oncologist. He's a researcher. Mm-hmm. And you are an oncologist and you work with a team of incredible 
you know, highly respected oncologist. What is that like? What is it like to have this this PI? And we don't mean private investigator, principal investigator, <laughs> principal right? Principal investigator, okay. yeah. So, Thanks yeah, for he's, the he's not, he's not a magnum PI. Um, so <laughs> what is it like to have a thought leader, a person like that, sort of leading this charge and you doing the science that either will back it up or refute it? It's really fun to be part of this team, and uh, it's a, a group of colleagues. So the, the study is being conducted at three sites. So Colorado State is one of them. It's also happening at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the University of California-Davis. And those are some of the top, I mean, vet schools in the country that focus on cancer. Absolutely. Yeah. All of us that are working on the project are oncologists. But one of the reasons that these sites were chosen is that they actually have really strong community practice services within the veterinary teaching hospital as well. So we serve a lot of healthy animals that come in for their wellness visits, for their preventative vaccines and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, And also in areas where we've got a robust client population from which to draw, because this is an 800 dog study, which is uh, a lot of dogs to enroll. So a lot of healthy dogs. Okay, so let's go into how the study has been structured with these 800 dogs. Sure. So I might just, if it's all right, just back it up a hair and um, talk about what we're trying to do with the vaccine, if that's okay. okay. And then talk about the details of the study. So the vaccine is designed to find a way to kind of train the body to be on high alert for some changes that happen when cancer cells develop. And so we know that there's a ton of genetic mutations that happen with various cancers, and they're often, you know, very different between cancers. But what Dr. Johnson and his team have discovered is that there are some very common signatures that appear across cancers. Mm -hmm. And so if we can use this vaccine, this cancer preventative vaccine, to train the body in a very early way to recognize when these signals are being developed to go and attack those cells that that look like those are early new cancer cells, then we could either prevent cancer from developing or even delay the onset for a period of time of cancer developing. Even if cancer is a tricky thing, um, it finds all sorts of ways to hide in the body. So even if, if it could evade the immune system eventually, still even getting a delayed onset of cancer would be helpful. So he was looking for, I think, these foreign peptides that are common among common cancers. Yeah. So he's found that there's some significant overlap in some of the neoantigens or new peptides that are developed on cancer cells, secondary to some common mutations that happen across cancers. So it would be a pan-cancer vaccine. Um, So there's kind of eight common tumor types that are incorporated into this vaccine. Things like bone cancer, bladder cancer, lung cancer, mammary or, you know, that's the equivalent of breast cancer in people um, and some other very common cancers that we see both in dogs and in people. I was wondering, so you said lung cancer, because I don't think lung cancer is that common in dogs, is it? You know, it it's not the most cancer that we see, but we do see it with some frequency in, okay. in older patients. Okay. Yeah, it's a little bit different than what they see in people, right. but um, we do see it in our dogs, definitely. Okay. So he took those eight cancers, looked for these these foreign peptides which are things that are produced by these tumors and then effectively built a vaccine to to build the immune system to say, hey, let's attack when you see any of these peptides. Exactly. To train the immune system to be on kind of early alert. And if they see any of those peptides developing, then attack and destroy. 
Okay. So then he had the vaccine. How long did it take for him to develop the vaccine? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know specifically, but this is a project that he has been working on for quite some time. And so then thinking about how do we how do we test this and doing all the early experiments in the laboratory to see, you know, does this idea work? Mm -hmm. And the laboratory studies suggest that, yeah, there's some definite potential here. So so how do we test this in a kind of a real model? And so if we think about what it would take to do this study in people. We'd need healthy volunteers that we would have to vaccinate at a relatively young age and then follow them for decades to see if they develop cancer or not. And so this is where our pets, the animals that we live with in our own house, can be really helpful for answering some of these questions. So if that was the original, like, of course, we'll we'll, we'll start with kids and then try this. It just didn't get approval or reception in order, like, people didn't want to do that. I don't even know that, that you could sell that just because of the, the, you know, if you think about the cost um, and, you know, the, all the early studies that would have to happen Mm. to make that happen, looking at dogs is a really smart way to do it. Dogs develop a lot of the same cancers that people do. Our treatments are often very similar. Unlike laboratory animals that are used in some of these studies, like mice and other rodents, Our dogs have a natural healthy immune system that would respond appropriately to a vaccination that was to prevent cancer. Our dogs live in our same environment. They, you know, drink the same water. They breathe the same air. Often they sleep in the same bed, Um, much to my own dog's dismay. That's not allowed in our house. Uh Uh-oh. Doctor, we'll talk (laughs) about that. I'll advocate on your dog's behalf. (laughs) Trust me, she's been trying to have that conversation (laughs) for a long time. And dogs, you know, unfortunately for those of us that live with them and love them, have a much shorter lifespan than people. And so that whole, you know, seven years of a dog's life is equivalent to one year in a human's life is actually pretty helpful in this situation in that we can follow these dogs from middle age to old age in a pretty short time frame and get that information a lot more quickly than you could in people. Okay. So that's why dogs were chosen. And I think it was sort of a happy circumstance, as I understand. Like, Dr. Johnson met your mentor and a friend of the show, Dr. <laughs> Tham, right? Yeah, Tham. And he's who you work with on this and as, as all part of this, because it is a very small community of veterinary oncologists in the United States and, and anywhere in the world, actually. It's pretty small. So he met, Johnson and Tham met, and then they said, hey, we can try this on dogs. And that's where you and some of your colleagues got enrolled. Yeah, absolutely. So Doug Tham was the initial contact with Stefan at ASU and kind of they together worked on building out this idea and um, recruiting other sites. And at that time, I was at the University of California, Davis. And so Dr. Tham contacted me there and to see if I, you know, would be interested in participating. And so, yeah, it sounded like a really interesting opportunity. And then his mentor, David Vale at uh, Wisconsin is involved as well. And you're right, it's a very small community. So Doug Tham was my mentor as a resident. Uh, David Vale was his mentor. So uh, <laughs> it's a small fraternity sorority of, of yeah, veterinary colleagues. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So now that's sort of the background. So let's get into to what you're doing with these 800 dogs and how they were selected and what's going on. So obviously, we needed to work with healthy dogs that never had a history of cancer. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we're doing when we're recruiting these dogs is kind of a, an extensive medical record review. So the people working on the study get the medical records at least three years worth and just kind of comb through them and make sure that, you know, they don't find anything 
sometimes there are some cancers that don't behave very aggressively and we take them off of surgery and we forget that they even happen. Right. So they're looking for things like that. We wanted to follow these dogs for, you know, the period of time that they would likely to be developing cancer. And so the age range that we picked is that we would enroll dogs that were essentially five and a half to 11 and a half in this study. With a thought being seven or eight is about the average age of cancer development for many of our dogs. Mm -hmm. We wanted to catch them before that and then have a time frame where you know, many of these dogs would still be living if we followed them for five years. So that's how we determine the age range. And uh, it's not open to all healthy dogs. We have restricted it to certain breeds that are more likely to develop cancer than other breeds, because it was kind of, it's critical if we're looking to try to prevent cancer. We unfortunately need cancer to occur in the arm that's getting the placebo as part of the vaccine. Mm -hmm to ensure that the dogs that are getting the active vaccine, that that's actually working. So you chose breeds more likely to get, and there's also a weight limit and you can't do small dog, or you're not choosing small dogs. Well, the weight limit's a, a just about 10 okay. pounds. So not the real teeny tiny ones. And, and part of that is just some of the blood samples mm. that we collect at each visit. We just need to make sure that they're large enough. <laughs> We're going to drain your dog. Right, yeah. exactly. We want our patients to be able to continue in the study, but Collecting those samples is really important so we can look at changes in the immune system and that sort of thing. We're banking all sorts of blood that we're collecting at each visit for these dogs. That's going to be helpful later on as we go back and analyze this. So at this point, you've enrolled all 800 dogs? Oh, we are so close, but we are not there okay, yet. Okay, <laughs> so if you're listening to this now, you could still get your dog in this trial, right? Exactly. Um we're going to get the most recent update on Monday, but um, I think we're in the range of 15 to 17 dogs okay, left. Okay. So we're on, we're on the home stretch. But we could easily fill that up with people who listen to dog cancer. That would be answers. awesome. They have to live within 150 miles of uh, CSU, UC Davis, or uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison. But yeah, okay. we're, we're hungry for, our, for your dogs. So what is involved and what are the risks if I'm going to put my dog in, in this trial? Yeah. So that's always really important to ask for your listeners that are thinking about participating in a clinical trial. Mm -hmm. And we often have a lengthy consent form that goes through all those things. What are my expectations? What does my dog have to do? And what are my risks? So basically these dogs are screened. Once we identify them as potential candidates, they're the right breed. And I should mention that mixed breeds are eligible as well because mixed breeds are pretty common and they show up frequently as um, some of the more common breeds in a lot of our cancer studies. Mm -hmm. And for your listeners, we do consider doodles and, and that sort of thing as a mixed breed for, for this purpose. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of breeds, and, and we'll post a link with the show notes that lists all the breeds, which my dog is not Maltese or not. They're too small. But uh, <laughs> And we don't see a lot of Maltese with cancer. So Okay, that's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so what are the things that one will have to go through or consent to? So we have them come in for an initial screening visit. And so they get a thorough examination by an oncologist looking for any lumps and bumps that haven't been previously detected, making sure that, you know, these are healthy dogs. If we do find lumps and bumps on the outside of the body that hadn't been worked up before, we'll get some aspirates of those to make sure that those are all benign things. We look at just basic blood work um, to make sure that these dogs are overall systemically healthy, that there's nothing lurking that we don't know about. Um, our dogs are very good at 
at hiding things sometimes until they no longer can. And then we also are screening these dogs with chest x-rays and abdominal ultrasound. And the reason for that is we're just looking to see if there's any potential for occult cancer. So do we have something brewing inside that just we haven't been able to detect externally? And so just looking internally to make sure that we don't have any surprises there to ensure these dogs are are good candidates for enrollment. So the dogs are all getting a thorough workup in order to be deemed eligible. Yep. And all of this, of course, doesn't cost the dog parent anything. Yep, absolutely. So the study is well funded thanks to the um, to Open Philanthropy that funded this project. And so the cost of those screening exams are borne by the, the study, not the client. Okay, so what percentage of dogs that go in for the initial evaluation do you enroll? It's pretty high, actually. So um, I don't have exact percentages, but, you know, that's something that we'll be looking at once we enroll all the dogs what percentage of dogs do we think were healthy coming in that we actually ended up excluding and what were the reasons and how did we find it, which I think will be interesting for the veterinary community. But most of the dogs end up getting enrolled. We do have some wiggle room in our screening that if we do see some changes on our ultrasound or chest x-rays that we can't 100% say, is this cancer, is this not, We'll get them back in four to six weeks to recheck those to see if it's changed. You know, a lot of dogs have little nodules in their spleen that most of the time aren't cancer, but we can't always be sure. So um, we do have some wiggle room that we'll recheck some things just so we feel most confident before we move in and start actually study procedures. Okay, so once their dog is enrolled, what happens? How, How frequently do they get vaccinated? And tell me about these blood samples and what else is involved. Yeah, so um, we just get some, collect some blood samples for research purposes at baseline um, before they get their first vaccine. And that's really to look at kind of changes in the immune profile in these dogs as they move along. And so they get their first vaccine and then we see them back every other week for three more visits. So a total of four vaccines in the initial booster series. And then um, we see them every six months after that. And they get a booster vaccine annually. So we're seeing them back every six months just for a physical exam and a small blood collection just to to store. So we've got those samples for further research in the future and then a booster vaccine annually. So why would I want to enroll my dog in this experiment? Well, as a dog owner, I'm sure you can relate to um, a lot of dog owners are just very altruistic people. Mm -hmm. I mean... Who hasn't been affected by cancer um, at some point in their life? And so our dog owners are really motivated. They recognize the value that we can get by investigating some of these things in in our our pets. And people are really motivated to make a a difference to see if if they can participate. And they are, you know, we're very clear this is a randomized, blinded, placebo-controlled study. So half these dogs are getting a sham vaccine. Which is basically like just an inert water-based substance, right? Yeah, they're they're actually getting kind of a, a similar vaccine, but the it's all nonsense. So, um, <laughs> what so <laughs> what does that mean? What are, what are you injecting in these placebo dogs? Exactly. Um, you know, so instead of like the specific peptides that we um, are wanting the immune system to detect, right. um, these are just kind of scrambled, jumbled nonsense. So, but there's no risk to this nonsense, or is there? Could there be? attendant risk to the placebo. 
So we don't think there's any more risk to the placebo than there is the active vaccine. Um, Some things that we talked about early on, this is the first time that, you know, this has been really investigated in dogs. So what are the potential risks? You know, anybody that's gotten a vaccine and and COVID's actually made this conversation a lot easier. Have we heard Um, about that recently? (laughs) So, you know, pain at the injection site, so muscle soreness. Mm -hmm. Some dogs may get a fever for a day or two after or have some flu-like symptoms. We have had some dogs that have developed some vomiting after the, the vaccine. And so those are all things that we think any of the dogs could get with their vaccination. The one of the rare things that we kind of were hypothesizing is, could we stimulate the immune system too much and cause potentially autoimmune diseases? So that's another risk that we talk to owners about at this point. You know, that's not something that we think is happening, but we do have a data safety monitoring board that oversees what's happening in the study and reviews all the information on an annual basis, looking at our side effects and what's happening and just to make sure that we're not having any untoward side effects that could be detrimental to these dogs. So for the most part, dogs have tolerated the vaccine series very well. I would say some some mild muscle discomfort after the vaccination is probably the most common thing that we see. So I'm intrigued with this, this the placebo. You know, I always think of a placebo as being a totally inert you know, a sugar pill. But in the case of this, the placebo has something in it. It just doesn't have the thing in it that you're testing for. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> um, it, actually, we think most of the side effects are coming from kind of a, an immune booster that we're giving along with some of the vaccines um, that both groups are getting because it's nonspecific, just because um, some of the vaccines that we're giving are just by the nature of that type of vaccine, they're not great at ramping up the immune system on on their own. So we give them a little jump start. So yeah, it's it's kind of all the components of the the vaccine, but just that they're not going to be recognized. Yeah. But not the peptides that yeah. Okay. So you've started this in 2019? Yes. Yeah. You started enrolling dogs back then or yep. when, yeah. So this was kind of fun to do in the midst of the pandemic when Ugh. there were all these conversations about vaccinations in general. How have those conversations uh, collided? The pandemic kind of wreaked havoc on this study, honestly, because, you know, we started in 2019, as you mentioned, and our goal was to have all these dogs enrolled within 18 months. So definitely within two years. And so now here we are um, and it's 2022 and we're still Mm -hmm. scrounging for our last handful of dogs. With the pandemic, research was shut down at many of these institutions unless it was considered essential research. And so when you're testing a potential cancer preventative vaccine in healthy dogs, that doesn't really cut the mustard as essential research. So the study was put on hold at the three sites for variable times, depending on the the institution. And so that really kind of messed up our enrollment goals. And then and then you've got the challenges of, okay, now we're now we can do the research here, but do owners want to <laughs> Even though that, you know, everybody's doing curbside service at that point, do owners still want to be having that extra activity that they're undertaking during a pandemic? So, yeah, you never know what's going to happen in research. But I'll tell you, a global pandemic was not on our radar in 2019. So it wasn't probably listed as one of the the risks associated (laughs) with the study. Yeah. Yeah. But it's been interesting because, you know, um, so many of our clients, you know, have vaccinations on their mind or have had their own recent vaccinations. And so it's made those conversations 
a little bit easier to talk about because people can relate to their own experience and think about, you know, what their dog might be experiencing too. That makes sense. Dr. Burton, we're going to take a break right now, but we will be right back. We'll talk a little bit about the economics of this because those are interesting. We'll be right back. And now a message from your dog. Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. Oh, I want to run. I want to sniff. Ooh, I want to find a good stick to carry. Oh, I want to roll in the grass. Oh, and warm my belly in the sun. Oh, I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want ever pup. The green, glassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. Oh, you may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. <laughs> it infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, <laughs> I can feel it. Ever pup traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. If your dog has cancer, you need to get a copy of the best-selling animal health book, The Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Because no matter what you've heard, there are always steps that you can take to help your dog fight and maybe even beat cancer. At nearly 500 pages, this comprehensive guide is your complete reference for practical, evidence-based strategies that can optimize the life quality and longevity of your dog. It's written by two of the most respected names in dog cancer, full-spectrum veterinarian Damien Dressler and veterinary oncologist Susan Ettinger. With the Dog Cancer Survival Guide, you'll learn everything that you need to know about conventional treatments, surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation, including how to reduce their side effects. You'll also discover the most effective non-conventional options, including nutraceuticals and supplements and diet, as well as mind-body medicine. What I love most about this book, which I've used with my own dog, Kanga, when she was diagnosed with cancer, is how to analyze the options and develop a specific plan for your own dog based on your dog's type of cancer and your dog's age, your financial budget, as well as your personality. You can get the Dog Cancer Survival Guide wherever books are sold, but if you get it direct from the publisher, you will save 10% when you use the offer code, especially for listeners of this podcast. Just go to dogcancerbook.com, and when you check out, use the promo code PODCAST, and you will save 10%. The website again, dogcancerbook.com, and use the promo code PODCAST to save 10%. 
I want to let you know about an important newsletter. It's called Dog Cancer News. Now, with a name like that, it is not for everyone. But if your dog has cancer, you will want to subscribe. That's because every issue features articles that will be helpful, such as low-carb dog cancer diet recipes, new clinical trials, financial resources to help pay for cancer care, information on supplements, and lots of other helpful info that your veterinarian may not know or have the time to share with you. Also, when you subscribe to Dog Cancer News, you will get a weekly update on the topics covered on this podcast, along with links and resources. So how much does Dog Cancer News cost? Well, today, you can subscribe for free. It's our gift. For a limited time, you can get a full year subscription for free. No strings attached. Just go to this website to sign up for the newsletter now, dogcancernews.com. It takes less than 10 seconds to subscribe, and it is totally free. Do it now at dogcancernews.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back with Dr. Jenna Burton. Dr. Burton, let's talk a little bit about the economics of this. So I guess one of the reasons to enroll your dog in this type of study is if your dog does contract cancer during the course of the study, i.e. the dog's life, it's covered, right? Partially, yeah. So dogs that happen to develop cancer while they're enrolled in this study, whether they're in the placebo arm or the active arm, and there's only a small subset of people that know what those divisions are. And so- I was going to um, say, that's like, you, you don't, I mean, you don't know. No, I mean, no. It's just a small, yeah. Yeah, nobody, nobody at any of the sites working on the study knows if they're giving the active vaccine or if they're giving the placebo. Mm-hmm. So any dog enrolled in the study, if they were to develop cancer- There is a a financial incentive that is applied to their hospital account where they're receiving care to help offset some of the the cost of cancer. So it doesn't cover all costs, but, you know, it's $2,000, which is helpful for many of our our clients. So Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is, is that these dogs are getting evaluated by a board certified oncologist every six months. And so we're um, always on high alert for you know, lumps or bumps or changes or things that make us worried about cancer and investigating those things. One of the things that that we need to do, if you think about all the dogs that are enrolled at, at each study site, is that we really need to maintain good relationships with the primary care veterinarians that are sending these dogs in, because we really still need these dogs to be going to their primary care vet for all their wellness activities. So there are other preventative vaccines and their heartworm testing and preventative People always laugh at me, but I've been doing this so long. Like I take my own dog to our primary care clinic because 
I don't give vaccines anymore. And I don't know what heart guard medications I should be putting my dog on. So I'm, right. I always explain to clients when they ask me to do that, I'm like, I don't do that for my own dog because I feel like it's more appropriate for someone else to do that. So, right. so maintaining these relationships and making sure that our clients are still um, seeing their primary care veterinarian for those wellness visits is really important. And we often have them they have something that they're concerned about, we have them start with their primary care vet as they normally would to start the workup. Mm -hmm. um, and if their primary care veterinarian is worried that cancer is likely, um, then they, if they haven't made that diagnosis, then they may send them to one of the sites to kind of continue that workup. Now, I have read that the grand vision, Dr. Johnson's vision of this vaccine, if it proves to be successful, is that this would be a vaccine available not only to dogs, but to people at a really low cost. That's sort of the compelling vision of what this could turn out to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's been, been the core of it. So a pan-cancer vaccine that is affordable. And what affordable means is very different in the U.S. versus sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to prevent cancer worldwide, it has to be very inexpensive. So you said that this was privately funded through philanthropy. Tell me a little bit about that. How did that work out? Yeah, so it's um it's actually a, a group called Open Philanthropy, and their mission is to fund kind of high-risk, high-reward projects. So not to say risk in risk to patient or people enrolled, but we're laying down a large chunk of cash, and there's a chance that this may not work, so more of an investment risk. And when you say a chance, what's the likelihood of this not working? Uh, I, that's a question I can't answer. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, your heart, I mean, that clearly you'll only know afterwards, but I mean, in your heart, again, this is sort of like what drives you. Do you go to work thinking this is a moonshot? This is a Hail Mary. This is like something that it, everything, what I know about cancer says this shouldn't work because cancers are so unique and so related to the individual a patient, whether dog or person, but we're looking for this universal pan cancer thing, but it could work. I mean, that's kind of what I'm really getting at. What do you, as someone who has spent years studying cancer, think as you approach this? I'm a realistic optimist. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, it's not my assumption that this vaccine is going to prevent cancer in every dog enrolled in this study. Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic that it's going to do something. It may be that we see a reduction in one type of cancer, but maybe not all cancers. You know, another thing that we're going to look at is, is there a delay on the onset of cancer? So if we could hold off an eight-year-old dog from developing cancer until it was 11, mm -hmm. that would be a win for a lot of people. Yeah. And so I, I think... My gut is, is that it's going to do something. Is it going to do everything that we think? That I don't know. I think the other really great thing about this study is that even if it were, even if we were, that we didn't see any difference between the group and any of the things that we're looking at, it's giving us an opportunity to look at 800 healthy dogs hmm. and we're collecting all this information on them, following them over time. We're collecting information about what supplements they're getting, what they're eating all those things. And so I think, I think there's just going to be a lot of data, useful data, and maybe not the stuff that we planned on that will ultimately come out of this study. That's going to be really interesting and valuable, maybe not to the human community, but to the veterinary community for sure. That's fascinating. Because I mean, we've talked on this show in the past about the Morris Foundation's 
golden retriever study, right? Which is yeah, a lot of dogs. Yeah, lifetime study. 3,000. 3,000 dogs, 800 dogs. I mean, the data that veterinary oncology can get out of it sounds like it could be worthwhile, even if this vaccine proves to not be what it is, you know, everything that it was hoped for. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's just a ton of information to learn. And, um, you know, so we're already talking about some early early projects that we're going to look at just with kind of the baseline data of all the dogs we've screened for this study. So what common blood works do we see on these older, healthy dogs? What are common findings on our screening chest x-rays, abdominal ultrasounds in these older, healthy dogs? Are you starting to see patterns already? I think one of the things I'll be really curious to look at is for the dogs that ultimately aren't enrolled in those studies, how we're detecting these um, early cancers that hadn't been noted yet. Mm. And uh, I think that's really going to be interesting. Are we detecting most of these just on our physical exam? Or are we detecting more of these through our more expensive imaging tests? And um, I think if it ends up that we're detecting most of the, these by physical exam, that's really important information for our, our veterinary colleagues out there. You know, your your skills with your eyes and your hands, what you're you know seeing on that patient are really valuable. I think veterinarians are always quick to, we sell ourselves short, you know, <laughs> um, but I, I think we shouldn't devalue our skill set. So you say you sell yourself short. Tell me about that. Oh, um, I think, I think veterinarians are a group that tend to be pretty hard on themselves. Mm. Um, and so always second guessing what they think, what they see. So, you know, you get a bunch of people that do really well in school and then, you know, you put them in a competitive <laughs> vet school environment and all sorts of crazy things happen. But I think, you know, as clinicians, we we really need to rely on our skills, our basic skills, like physical exam skills in a way that our human colleagues often don't or don't have to. Any regrets about going from California to Colorado to participate in this? No, I mean, I miss my California colleagues dearly. And uh, my colleague, uh, Jen Wilcox, has uh, stepped up and is leading the charge at UC Davis now. And uh, Colorado's always been been kind of my second home. So uh, it's nice to be back home. That's awesome. So just getting back to the money piece a moment, you said this was an organization, what's it called? The non, the open philanthropy, open philanthropy. How much What's the total? How much is the study? This study is the study funding is for just over $6 million. Okay. So in the grand scheme of things, not that much, but for 800 dogs. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you think about all the personnel mm-hmm. that are um, doing the immune assays in the laboratories at ASU, the personnel that are enrolling the dogs and um, reviewing all the records. So um, there's all that, the cost, all the visits are paid for as part of the study, all the diagnostics. So there's patient care and then there's the actual manpower to run right. run the study too. But compared to what this would cost in humans, it's, it's a drop in the bucket. And so you know, not only can we learn information more quickly by working with our dogs, we can learn it a lot more, you know, effectively and efficiently mm-hmm. as far from a financial standpoint. So when do you know if there's something to this? When do you know if the hypothesis is being proven or or not? Yeah, so it's five-year study. So we got <laughs> to wait a little bit longer. And so um, we will... I think at the end of year five, when we analyze the data. Okay. And year five ends when? I mean, we didn't really start in 2019. So what year will that be? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I think we are. 
I've lost all sense of time. We don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What month is um, it? What year is it? Yeah. yeah. And we, we are uh, seeking a, a, a no-cost extension uh, to try to continue the work to make up for some of the time that we lost with uh, the pandemic shutdown. So, um, so TBD. Okay. So we don't know when, but what happens if there's like, huh, there's something here. What, what, what's the next step? Great question. So there are several other projects that are spinning out of this one already. And so one of them is, you know, looking at a potential screening diagnostic. So can we pick up some of these, you know, signature profiles on a blood sample that may suggest that your dog has early cancer and we need to investigate further? So that's something that a lot of groups are looking into, liquid biopsies, so a blood sample to look for early cancer. Mm, I like that, liquid biopsy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can either get a vision of just like this clear liquid or some oozy, gross biopsy thing. Uh -huh. So however you want to go with that. So obviously, publication of, of our findings and, and assessment by the scientific community to see where this goes from here. Is there interest in moving in forward in people? Do we have enough data to support that? So those aren't really conversations that we're having right now. But as we get closer, yeah, it's, it's going to be a bigger and different crew. I'm happy working with dogs and cats, so I don't. I don't need to go beyond that. Move into. I mean, into because I mean, again, this is all designed from, from man's best friend to potentially yep. man and women. Yeah. Do you miss being a regular? You know, you're still seeing patients, but it's different. Do you miss what you were doing previously? Actually, this is only the this um, the vaccine against canine cancer study is only a small part of what I'm doing. So I still get to it do is. all my. Okay. Yeah. I have this idea that this is all you're doing. Okay, <laughs> it's it's part of my job. So yeah. I, you know, I saw five dogs on that are on the study today, mm -hmm. and um, got to see them for some for their six month visit, some for their twelve month visit. Yeah. But I still get to do all my regular clinic stuff in the hospital and teaching and other research activities. So it's a nice bonus to to what I'm already doing. So when you tell your other clients or your friends about this, what do they say about this study? They're really intrigued. I mean, um, and I have had friends that have ended up enrolling their dogs without any arm twisting from me, to be clear, because that would not be ethical. <laughs> right. um, so, um, so, I mean, people are just really intrigued. And I, I think the biggest barrier to enrollment is time. Mm. You have to come for your screening visit and then you know, every other week for four visits and then twice a year after that. But for a lot of people, you know, time is a really precious commodity. So um, that can be challenging to do. But I think most people are, are really intrigued and don't really perceive there to be a lot of downside. But it, probably the more common thing is, why aren't you enrolling border collies or, you know, the, whatever breed they have <laughs> yeah. that isn't, you know, part of the study? Wow. Well, it is a moonshot, but it has amazing potential if it works out. And it's profound if there's something there. And I wish you guys the best. And I'm really excited to have you share this with us. And we will be certainly following future developments. We will be keeping you posted. We're all excited about this project. But I really appreciate the time to chat with you and talk about the study. It's been really an exciting project to be involved in. So thank you, Dr. Jenna Burton. Imagine being able to get a shot or several shots and prevent cancer from happening in dogs and people. It's pretty cool. Now, it is a moonshot. I think 
you know, the odds of it working out exactly as they have hoped, maybe not so great. But this is all part of the scientific method. And I am so excited that this type of research is going on and that the 800 dog lovers, and if you want to be one of those, we will put a link in the today's show notes so you can enroll in the study or see if your dog can enroll in the study, could potentially pave the way for a vaccine that could both benefit people and dogs in the future. Speaking of people and dogs, we here at Dog Cancer Answers would love to hear what you think about the show. And if you have some ideas for future episodes, please let us know. You can reach us on our website at dogcanceranswers.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please do us a favor and consider telling a friend or two or, or three or four or your veterinarian and let people know about the show. It really helps us grow and reach more people who are in need of answers to dog cancer. Well, that is it for today's episode. I want to thank you for joining us. From all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'm James Jacobson, wishing you and your dog a very warm aloha. Thank you for listening to Dog Cancer Answers. If you'd like to connect, please visit our website at dogcanceranswers.com or call our listener line at 808-868-3200. And here's a friendly reminder that you probably already know. This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to take the place of the advice you receive from your dog's veterinarian. Only veterinarians who examine your dog can give you veterinary advice or diagnose your dog's medical condition. Your reliance on the information you hear on this podcast is solely at your own risk. If your dog has a specific health problem, contact your veterinarian. Also, please keep in mind that veterinary information can change rapidly. Therefore, some information may be out of date. Dog Cancer Answers is a presentation of Maui Media in association with Dog Podcast Network. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.